so we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. We'll be reading just the introduction, really two Acts, 1 through 11. And then I'm going to take time this morning to talk about this whole book. In other series, when we've gone through a whole book, we've actually taken time to read the whole book on on that Sunday. But the book of Acts takes about two to three hours to read through. So, uh, so I thought it might not be good to do that this morning. Unless you guys want to stay here till about 2. And I know some of you, I shouldn't even say that because I know some of you right away are saying, yeah, let's do it, which is great. I'm glad for that enthusiasm. But we'll just look at a sample and then talk about it. But let's pray. Because even as we do this, even as we do an introductory message and try to establish some of these themes, we're not doing that as an academic exercise. We're doing that because we want to to learn from the Lord. We want to hear from God, uh, even as we look at the big picture of Acts. So let's ask Him to be here to speak to us. Lord, thank you for this wonderful book. Lord, I think of you and your wisdom and your sovereignty. You you looked at the plans you have, what you wanted to do in and through your Son, what, what you wanted to do for us in and through us as your people today. And as you thought of that, you thought of the book of Acts. And you thought of how you would serve us, how you would speak to us through this book. You thought of how you would teach us, how you would encourage us, how you would lead us. And you thought of, Lord, our particular lives even, because you know all things and you live beyond time. You thought of the challenges we would be in. You thought and knew everything about what would be going on in this summer and this fall and and following from now and the purposes you had for us. And you designed this book for us, not just us, but for us as part of your entire plan to instruct our hearts and lead us in your ways. And we thank you so much. We thank you for your word and we thank you that your word is alive and you speak to us through your word. And Lord, we so want to hear from you. So would you anoint and bless this time? Lord, would you use me? I'm weak and in, uh, sinful without Christ, I am nothing but thank you, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness and for your power, Holy Spirit. So come and be with us. Speak to us. Accomplish all that you have in mind for us and through us, through this message and this series as well, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 and just read verses 1 through 11. I won't be doing an exegetical message, an expository message of this particular passage alone but it gives us a good introduction to the entire book. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Luke starts out, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Acts 1, 1 through 11. This particular passage is an introduction and gives us a lot of clues about what the whole book will be about. We'll take some time next week to actually dig into chapter 1 in more detail. But it gives us some clues and gives us a taste of what we see ahead in the book of Acts. I am very excited for this series and what God has for us through the book of Acts. This is a wonderful and important book for the church. The 20th century pastor and theologian D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he preached at the Westminster Chapel in England, a Welsh preacher, and if you can ever listen to him on tape, please do. He's a wonderful preacher. He said of the book of Acts the following, Live in that book, I exhort you. It is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the Spirit. And then later, there is no more exhilarating book than that. I always regard it as a kind of spiritual convalescent home, a book to which tired Christian people should always go to be really invigorated and built up. If you are feeling tired and therefore in need of a spiritual tonic, go to the book of Acts, and there you will find this irrepressible joy that these people had in confirmation of the Lord's promise. It's a wonderful book, a spiritual tonic for us as Christians. Whether you be tired or energized, the book of Acts is something to invigorate us and to teach us and to instruct us. What I'm going to do this morning is really to provide an overview of the book. It's kind of like if you think about our series as a visit to, to a place, maybe the Hawaiian Islands, for example, if you're coming to the Hawaiian Islands, you're looking to visit, you're looking to, to spend time in the cities and touring the island and getting to know the island, but before you get there, you fly in. And perhaps, I've never been to Hawaii, so I don't know how you land in Hawaii, but perhaps as you fly in, you get a nice view of the islands themselves. And that's kind of what this message is. This is the 35,000-foot view of the Book of Acts. We're going we're to kind of fly around the island we're going to note its main features, its key themes. And then I'm going to share with you some of the things that I'm asking God for from this series. Some of the ways that I'm praying, some of the things I'm expecting. So we'll, we'll do this 35,000 foot overview of the book of Acts. And then we'll talk about what we're looking forward to in this series. So let's begin. Uh, this book, the author is Luke. Luke is the same author of the gospel that goes by. That name, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and at the beginning of Acts, we can see that it's Luke because there's an introduction that he gives that's parallels, that fits in with the Gospel of Luke as well. So in, in a, the book of Luke at the beginning, this is how Luke introduces the book. I think we have this to show. In as much as many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word 
have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may certainly have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And that is book one of Luke's two-volume set. The beginning of the Gospel of Luke is introduced that way. The second of the two-volume set, Acts, and they go together, he says, in the first book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So these two books go together. They probably were written by Luke around the same time. And they're meant to be read together. And they were, they were written for this guy, Theophilus. Theophilus was a uh, probably someone Luke knew. He was a real person, most likely. Some people think, well, he's just a representative of all Christians because his name means Theophilus, lover, uh, God lover. Uh, but Theophilus was actually a common name in that day. And when somebody would write a, a special book in that day, they would often dedicate it to an important person. So Theophilus was probably an important uh, Christian, maybe a, a wealthy citizen, maybe a, a key Roman official. And so Luke is writing this account and dedicating it to his friend and perhaps benefactor, Theophilus. It was written around 60 to 65 AD, and, and that date may mean nothing to you, but that's about the time where, where, uh, where he had finished the journey. Paul was in Rome, and perhaps Luke was in Rome, and it was at that time that he wrote both the Gospel and, and the Acts, or maybe Luke traveled to Jerusalem and did some research. And it was uh, b- before the, the persecution of Nero had really broken out. So we, we, looking at the book, we, it looks like he wrote it right around that time. He was a traveling companion of Paul. Luke was someone who actually traveled with Paul. And we see it in the book of Acts. If you follow the storyline, uh, we could just jump into chapter 15, at the end of chapter 15 and 16. I think we have this to show. And at the end of 15, <clears throat> they're, uh, they're in Antioch. They're in Jerusalem, then they're in Antioch. And this is what it says. Uh, and after that, they had spent some time. They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had by the brothers to those who had sent them, speaking of the journey from Jerusalem to Antioch. And it says, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So that's the end of chapter 15. And then the story picks up in 16 as they go out from Antioch and listen to the use of pronouns here. So it's speaking of Paul and Barnabas and they in chapter 15. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 16, verse 10, as they go out through Asia Minor, it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Luke's writing this, and and apparently as the storyline progresses, as they move from Antioch to go back out, uh, they pick up Luke somewhere. Some people think he was from Antioch. Others think he was from over like Troas or over there. But all of a sudden... The storyline starts saying, we did this, and we did that. And then if you follow it through, and we'll get to it as we go through this, the book, you'll see we drops out at certain points, and then comes back in at certain points. So Luke was an actual member of Paul's church planting team. Can you imagine that? Imagine what that must have been like just to be along. I don't know if he was the team doctor or something. We learn elsewhere that he was a doctor. Uh, in, in the book of Colossians, he's called the beloved physician. Uh, the language that Luke uses in 
And if you're a Greek scholar, you can recognize this. And I'm not a Greek scholar, so I have to take people's word for it. Uh, the words that he uses in both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, he uses a lot of medical-type terminology. So that fits with Colossians 4. The way he says things, his Greek is very good, uh, and his way of writing is, is indicative of someone who was educated. So he was a doctor, he was educated, and he was a traveling companion with Paul. He was probably a Gentile. Uh, it looks like, as we look in the book of Colossians, as Paul talks about his team in Colossians, he speaks of this team, and, and it looks like he designates Luke as a Gentile. So it says in Colossians 4, I think we have, you can put this up as well, Speaking of the men, the team with him, he says, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So he names a bunch of names and says, These guys are all of the circumcision. In other words, these guys are all Jewish guys who are on my team. And then once he said that, he says, he starts speaking of the rest of the team or the rest of his companions. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So it looks like Luke was not of the circumcision. He was a Gentile, probably a God-fearing Gentile who came to Christ, perhaps even under Paul's ministry, and then traveled along with him. That's a little bit about who this guy is and uh, helping us perhaps just appreciate more his authorship and his situation. And the storyline that Luke gives to us is really the story of what happens in part two. It's Jesus the movie part two is really what the book of Acts is. Uh, it's the situation of the spread of Christianity after Jesus was resurrected. It's interesting in the beginning of the book, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that interesting? All that Jesus began to do and teach. And now uh, the implication is that this book is what Jesus continues to do even after he's ascended into heaven. So this is part two. This is an explanation to Theophilus. It's a carefully constructed account of what went on to get Christianity from being something that happened in the Jewish world to it being something that was throughout the Roman Empire. So Theophilus was probably a, some, some, a Roman, perhaps, a Roman citizen. And Luke is explaining to him, this is what happened. This is what went on. Jesus, he, in the Gospel of Luke, it's this is who Jesus is. This is what he did. This is his life. This is his teaching. This is the, the key truth of his death to die for sinners, to die for any and all sinners who would turn to him and put their faith in him. And then his victorious resurrection over sin and death. This is the story of Jesus. And and so Luke talks to Theophilus about that and, and how Jesus, in that wonderful story, does all these things. Jesus himself journeys from Galilee to Jerusalem to accomplish his mission. And then after he's ascended, he's raised from the dead and he ascends to heaven. He gives instructions to his disciples. And then they take the same mission that he had started and they carry from Jerusalem to Rome. And so it's really the story of what happened after Christ came and did his work and commissioned his disciples. And it's the story of them being witnesses. Jesus says that you shall be my witnesses. The disciples are eager to, to see the kingdom. They, their, their thoughts in terms of book two probably run in the lines more like this, like, Jesus, you've, you've done this. You've been raised from the dead now, and now you're going to stay here and be the king. 
and you're going to reestablish the kingdom, and then the kingdom will spread, and we're going to get to sit on those thrones and stuff with you, and that'll be great. That was what they thought volume two would be. And Jesus says, no, guys, it's not for you to know the dates or times. The Father has a plan, but, but what your job is right now is to be my witnesses, to be the ones who take the story of my life and what I have done and, and take that and, and walk in the power of its reality and share that with the whole world. Your job is to go, just as I went from Galilee to Jerusalem to accomplish the mission, now you are to take that truth from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Church, you are to be my witness in a dynamic, powerful, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-inspired way. You are to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That is what you're called to. The Father will finish the kingdom in His own way, in His own time. This is your job, to witness to me. And so the storyline is of them doing just that. And it's a dynamic story. You know, you think, okay, witnesses, yep, easy, right? We'll just take the story and we'll go to here, go here, go here, and it'll be done. But but we know it's not that easy. There's this dynamic, there's this adventure, this grand epic adventure really that goes on in the book of Acts. And not just to be a good story, but to instruct us because the reality is we are part of the same grand epic adventure. As that gospel goes out, as God's people witness to his truth and his life, through who they are and what they do. We face obstacles. We face challenges. We, we see success. We see setbacks. We see a sovereign God in it all, over it all, working through the setbacks, overcoming the setbacks. We see Jesus Christ in and amongst His people, the Gospel in all its power, having its way. We see and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us as this grand adventure continues, as the Gospel goes out. Now, Jesus doesn't say it here in Acts, but in Matthew, part of what he gets at is that after that is done, after it goes out to all peoples, then the end will come. Matthew 24 speaks of that. So there's a conclusion to that. But there's a job to be done now. There, so this book is really the, the transition account of how that all got started, what went on. And it was unique in some ways, but in some ways it's exactly the same thing that's going on now. So this book is instructive for us as it follows this wonderful storyline. Let me just touch on some key themes real quickly, and then I want to talk about some of the things that I'm trusting God for for this wonderful book. So some key themes. One key theme that we see in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and we did a series as a church in, uh, in Luke, and I don't remember the name of the series, we, what we called it, but... Uh, but the focus of that series was on Jesus rescuing outcasts. You guys remember that series we went through and, and all the people that Jesus rescued, the, the, the unlikely people who came to Christ and how he reached out to them and, and rescued them, and that he saved sinners. Uh, he came to seek and to save the lost. I think that might have been the title of our series. And that's what the book of Luke is. It's really a, it has a strong theme of, of God rescuing outcasts. That, that God in His mercy and grace loves to rescue outcasts. And, and those are really the predominant ones who come to Christ, are ones who recognize that they're outcasts. And that theme continues in the book of Acts as well. It's, it's a reality of how God does things, and it's something that Luke is highlighting, especially in his gospel and in Acts. So we see the story continue. We see all sorts of people 
all sorts of unlikely people come to Christ. Certainly the apostles themselves are an unlikely group. They're an unlikely group. They're not super competent, super able. They fail, they fall, yet God comes in the power of the Holy Spirit and transforms their lives. And that's part of what we see in the story. We see them step up to the plate in the power of the Spirit and do some wonderful things. So he rescues these guys and he uses them. We see the lame beggar in the temple rescued. We see the Samaritans, a whole group of unlikely people, rescued early on in the story. We see the Ethiopian eunuch, an Ethiopian official, rescued. We see a Gentile household of a, of a soldier, Cornelius, rescued. We see Saul, the great persecutor of the church, rescued. We see the Philippian jailer rescued. We see Gentiles rescued. We see the Corinthians, this, this unlikely group, rescued, redeemed. We see the Ephesians, uh, people practicing witchcraft, all sorts of stuff in Ephesus, rescued. The theme over and over again of God rescuing unlikely candidates is one of the themes, key themes in the book of Acts that we should celebrate. Another theme, of course, is the work of the Holy Spirit. We see the Spirit of God coming in power. And I'll touch on this some more later when I talk about what I'm asking God for. But in this redemption, we see Jesus' ministry continued. And just as Jesus in in, in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, walks in the power of the Spirit and acts, we see the Spirit working through the apostles to do the same sort of things. Luke and Acts go together, and, and Luke, is, I think, has been called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a lot about the Spirit in the book, the Gospel of Luke, and in Acts. Because there's a lot going on, but Luke, again, wanted to highlight that. So if you read Luke, you'll see in the Gospel, you'll see Jesus doing the things he did in the power of the Spirit. And then we see in Acts, the people of God experiencing this power from the Holy Spirit, doing the things that Jesus did as well. Uh, We touched on witnesses, that it's a book about being his witnesses. We see the church witnessing to the life of Christ in their proclamation of the gospel, in their holy living, in their love for one another, in their corporate experience of Christ and his, his life and his character in them as they live in a world that is often opposed to them and confused. They stand as witnesses of God. And that witnessing is, to us, witness. Uh, comes across as really a passive verb or term, like you witness, you just say something. And it is true, it is, is at the root, it is passive. But in the book of Acts, is their witness a passive witness? No, no. I mean, they're, just, they're witnessing to something someone else has done and is doing in them, and it's passive in that sense, but it's an active witness. They are going forth in the face of opposition to proclaim who He is, and to demonstrate in the power of the Spirit and in their character who He is. So witness in Scripture, being His witnesses, and this is part of our mission statement, being His witnesses is is in no way passive. It's active. It's passive in the sense of it's all from Him. It's all through Him. It's all to Him. It's not because we're great. It's because He's great. But it is an active proclamation and demonstration of that reality. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, is this wonderful, dynamic witness to Christ as they obey Him and carry out the mission. The title of this series is Unstoppable. And the reason I chose that title is because a really key theme in the book of Acts relates to the term unstoppable. What we see in Acts is the Gospel, the truth of Christ, impacting lives. And then they're commissioned to take it from Jerusalem to Rome. 
And what we see over and over again in, this, in the book is they face obstacles. They face ob- obstacles of all different types. They face obstacles to the purity and progress of the gospel again and again. And yet the gospel keeps on going forward. God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit work together in the book of Acts to make sure that the gospel is unstoppable. And so it's a demonstration to us that the gospel is an unstoppable gospel, that it does not it does not falter at obstacles that God has, has seen to it in the book of Acts and in history that his gospel will continue to go forward, that it will progress from Jerusalem to Rome to the ends of the earth, that it will have its way. And that is something we need to hear. Because don't we at times get discouraged? We see obstacles to the gospel. Maybe we see it in our own lives. Maybe we see obstacles to the gospel in our families, in our friends. We see obstacles to the gospel in our community, with our neighbors, in our culture. And we think, oh man, it's not never going to work. We, uh, we do the Eeyore thing, it'll never work. The Christian thing, we're going to die. Nothing will work. We're going to be this little tiny group. There'll be no more Christians. But we look at the book of Acts. No wonder Lloyd-Jones said, this is a tonic for the tired Christian. Because we look at Acts and what happens? Yeah, they face obstacles. They face big obstacles. But the gospel keeps on going forward as they look to the Lord. The, the, the Father orchestrates things. The Spirit empowers them. And, and the life of Jesus is in them. And they take it forward. And they face obstacle after obstacle. In the beginning, they see persecution from officials in Jerusalem. These important and powerful people oppose Peter and John. And they pray. And they acknowledge God, and God continues to work. We see the early church facing the obstacle of hypocrisy and scandal with Ananias and Sapphira. God comes in in power and deals with that one. I don't know if I want that one to happen, but, but God deals with that obstacle of hypocrisy. We certainly want to deal with hypocrisy, but boy, he deals with it strongly in that story. We'll touch on that. We see the persecution that breaks out against Stephen. Stephen is stoned, put to death, and a severe persecution breaks out. And yet, the gospel goes forward. There's the controversy of the Gentiles. What do you do with the Gentiles? How do we understand? We're all Jewish. We've all come to Jesus as Jews. We've known Him as Jews. And now there's these Gentiles in the church. And how do we deal with them? There's the earlier uh, obstacle of the difference between the culturally Greek Jews and the Palestinian Jews. And and the widows are getting ignored and the church is in danger of of splitting. Wouldn't that be horrible? The early church, the first church, splitting. There's that obstacle, yet God comes through, deals with that obstacle, overcomes it. And And then Luke will say often after these obstacles are dealt with, the word of God continued to spread. After that obstacle is dealt with, the word of God continued to spread. And so you can follow the whole storyline. You see uh, Peter in prison, James put to death under Herod. God frees Peter and then deals with Herod. We see uh, people trying to, uh, Paul again and again with his team, faces all these obstacles and they continue to go onward. I mean, Paul is probably stoned to death outside Derby, I think, was it? He's probably stoned to death. He gets up and goes back in the city. God continues to use him and work and progress the gospel, forward the gospel. Even to the point where Paul is shipwrecked on an island as, and he's uh, 
persecuted by the Jewish leaders. They want to kill him. God gets him out of that. He gets shipwrecked. God gets him out of that. And then the gospel through all that goes to Rome. It actually fulfills and picture what Jesus had called them to. And going to Rome really representing the end of the earth. So we see these obstacles overcome. We see the unstoppable gospel at work in the book of Acts. And that should be an encouragement to us. There are other minor themes that are there as well that you can look at. It looks like Luke was trying to help Theophilus understand how Christianity related to the Roman Empire. And and actually you'll see a fairly favorable uh, view of the Roman Empire and how Christianity fits in. And in large part, uh, Christianity was a good thing for the Roman Empire. He's trying to convey that. Um, he talks about the progress of the gospel from Jew to Gentile, Peter and Paul's relationship, these other themes he touches on as well. So these are things we'll see. These are things I think will help us maximize our benefit from this book. Well, uh, as I hit on this last section, I want to talk about our expectation. Why the book of Acts? You may be wondering why. Why are we doing Acts now? Why would we choose Acts? And, and I think that's probably becoming... Clear. The answer is becoming clear as we touch on some of these themes. But let me share with you why Acts and what I'm trusting God for. There are three things above all others. I, I know that God probably has other things in mind, but there are three things from this book I'm asking God for. Number one is for us as his people, for a greater faith in the triune God. A greater faith in the triune God. A, a deeper, a sure, a more enthusiastic, a, a more secure, a more zealous, a more energetic faith in the triune God. And when I say the triune God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because all three are at work in the book of Acts. Second is a greater joy in the gospel. A greater joy in the gospel. A greater joy in the good news of Jesus Christ. Suffering, dying for sin, rising again for new life for His people, for us, any and all who would run to Him and turn to Him. A greater joy in the Gospel. And thirdly, a greater zeal to fulfill our mission. A greater zeal to fulfill our mission. Let me talk about these things in some more detail. First, a greater faith in God. The book of Acts is full of the activity, the providence, the power, and the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's full of God at work. First, God the Father. We see in the book of Acts, we see Him in His sovereignty and His providence. Those are big long words. His sovereignty means His absolute reign over all situations and all things and all peoples. His absolute reign over all things. His absolute, secure, enduring reign over all things. And His providence is Under that term, his provision for his purposes and his people, his providence. He rules everything and he makes sure that his purposes come to pass. He provides for his purposes. He provides for his people. That providence, providence. The book of Acts is full, full of his sovereignty, full of his providence. And that should encourage us as we see God the Father actively involved in, in ruling over and providing for His people and His purposes. And so right in the beginning, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is called the promise of the who? The promise of the Father. 
the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is for all of God's people, the baptism of the Holy Spirit given out in, in Acts chapter 2 is the promise of the Father. He's the one who's promising and delivering on his promises that the people of God might walk in the, the power of the Spirit, might experience his power for the mission, for his purposes. We see his providence, his sovereignty elsewhere too. Look at, the, look at Saul. I mean, look at the story of Saul. Here's this guy. He's in charge of the persecution. He's in charge of the persecution. He's, he is leading this great and severe persecution, the first severe one against the church. He's having people put to death. He says that later. He had people put to death. He called the shots on who they went after, who they got. And you would think, oh, no, this is horrible. This, this persecution is going to destroy the church. It's going to ruin the church. And, and, and what you see in the storyline is you see, first off, Saul and all his people with him, they try to squeeze the church. They try to crush the church. They try to control the church. But crushing the church is like trying to squeeze oil. When you try to squeeze it, what happens? It squirts out and goes everywhere. And, and as, they, as they come into this persecution, they drive the church out of Jerusalem. And the church goes everywhere. And if you follow the storyline, what does the church do? What do the people of God do? They share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit as they go. And churches get planted. Antioch was started. Antioch, one of, key, one of the key churches in the storyline of, of the church and of the book of Acts, is started from that persecution. As people went, they shared the gospel. God is over that. The Father, that's what we must read between the lines. This is the Father's doing. And even more in the story of Saul, what happens to Saul himself? God confronts him in power on the road to Damascus and takes the greatest persecutor of the church to be one of the greatest advocates of the church. That story is fantastic. One of the reasons it's fantastic is it points to a sovereign and providential God. That's the part of the intent as we read that. You see it all throughout the book of Acts. You see the sovereignty and the provision of God again and again and again. It's in many places. Uh, Acts chapter 4, they pray and they acknowledge that God had ordained everything that had happened. And they bring it to the sovereign God and they say, Now, Lord, stretch out your hand. Perform these signs. Do these things as your word. and Give us boldness to proclaim your words. They acknowledge his sovereignty. It gives them boldness to go. Uh, later on in the storyline, Paul is discouraged. God speaks to him. I have many people in the city of Corinth. Paul, keep up the mission in Corinth. Don't be discouraged because the reality behind it is I as the sovereign providential one have arranged for many people to come to know you in the city. So keep at it. Others as well. The, the book is full of this sovereign God. And so it should fill our hearts with wonder and fresh faith in our sovereign God. If he's sovereign in these ways there, he's sovereign here in our lives. And we are not to interpret our circumstances in a defeatist, self-centered way, but to recognize there's a sovereign God. And He has His purposes in and through us. To be looking to Him. To be looking to see what He will do. To ask like they did in Acts 4. Oh Lord, You are in control. Now give us boldness and stretch out Your hand to do these things. We see the sovereign Father in His providence. We see the Son throughout the book of Acts as well. Jesus is present with His church. He's present in the book of Luke in person. And then by the, present, by the Holy Spirit, He's present with His church. For the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of the Father. They are one. And Jesus is with His church 
through the Spirit as they preach his gospel. So he's active in his church. He lives among them. He, he's forming them to his image under the Father's rule to represent himself to the world. We see him in the book of Acts. We see him at times actually even personally dealing with things, personally appearing. As Stephen is about to die, he looks up and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, I don't know all, I, I don't know all of what that meant, but normally uh, you sit at the right hand of God. And as Stephen is, is dying, he sees the Son of Man standing, ready to receive him. That's a wonderful picture of the Son. We see him there. We see him with Saul. Jesus himself audibly confronts Saul, appears to Saul, it looks like. In his testimony in Galatians, it looks like Jesus himself appeared to him there, perhaps bodily. But we see Jesus in these instances in Acts and throughout this book. Jesus is active. It's all that Jesus began to say and do in Luke and all that he continued to do. And for us, all he continues to do is he's with us in just the same way. We see the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And oh, how we need to learn to depend on the power of the Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit active in the church. And if, if we could kind of think of the Bible, and I don't, I don't think we should really think of it this way, but perhaps the analogy helps as like a three-scene play. There's scene one, the Old Testament, and what God does there. There's scene two, Jesus and His ministry. And then there's scene three, it's the church and what the church does. In some ways we see in scene one, the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is kind of behind there in the background a little bit. We see the Father and we see uh, foreshadowing of the Son in that scene. So the Father and His people are center stage. Scene two, Jesus is center stage. We see the Spirit at work. We see the Father, but Jesus is the center stage. In many ways, scene three, the Father is there, the Son's there, but now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit steps up and becomes one of the main characters among the Trinity in this part of the story. That's our part of the story. This is the time in history where God is working in His church, doing His purposes, the Father orchestrating the Son, the Son, the central truth, and the Spirit at work in us. We see the Spirit at work in the book of Acts. This explicit and repeated work of the Spirit. So we see it from Pentecost to Samaria to Cornelius' house to Antioch to Ephesus to Jerusalem to Rome. We see the Spirit anointing and commissioning and empowering and guiding and using the church to continue the works of Jesus. Now, the book of Acts is a unique time in history, and we, we need to understand that. Sometimes we can make mistakes when we think that everything in the book of Acts must happen now. It was a unique time. It was this transition time. It was this transition time from Jesus' ministry to the church. And, and so part of that transition is Jesus had had personally discipled these 12 men, these apostles. There, there are no apostles like the 12 apostles today. Those men lived and they transitioned the church and they proclaimed the truth and they established, helped establish the canon of Scripture. And their role was unique and it's, it's God's work through them. It was this transition time too as the Spirit got, the new covenant experience of the Spirit started to, to be experienced for the first time in the church. So there's these transitions, these unique things, and, and we need to understand that. 
There's aspects of Acts that are unique for the beginning of the church. But much of Acts is to be understood as applicable and instructive to us today. When we understand some of those unique things, like the first giving of the Holy Spirit, like the role of the apostles, capital A, apostles, that helps us then start to see, well, how do we understand Acts? Because apart from those things, there might be one, one other thing I can't think of right now, but apart from those things, the rest is for us to understand. And though there, Peter may not walk the earth right now, the things that Peter did in the power of the Spirit, God's people are still called to do and to walk in. The same Spirit is at work. The same Gospel is, is, is impacting lives. The same Father is orchestrating all these things. So we see in the book of Acts this wonderful work of the Spirit confirming and promoting the Gospel, anointing its proclamation, opening eyes, sanctifying lives, using people for His work. So as we go through this series, one of the things I'm asking God for is greater faith in Him, in the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Greater faith in God the Holy Spirit, to work in and through us. Lloyd-Jones says, and speaking of the Holy Spirit, you must become aware of your need, of your impotence, of your helplessness. You must realize that you are confronted by something that is too deep for your methods to get rid of or to deal with, and you need something that can go down beneath that evil power and shatter it And there is only one thing that can do that, and that is the power of God. We must be a people desperate for the Spirit to work in and through our lives. Sam Storms in his book on the gifts of the Spirit says, Biblical illiteracy and theological naivete have reached epidemic proportions in the church today, but more than knowledge is needed. Mere doctrine won't suffice. Now, he's not... He's not pulling away from doctrine. He's saying, let's get doctrine. But mere doctrine, merely knowing important things about the Lord, won't suffice. What the church needs is truth set aflame by the power of the Holy Spirit. What the church needs is the divine energy of God Himself bringing what we know to bear on how we live and how we pray and how we love and how we witness. The church needs an infusion of the supernatural activity of God into its life and ministry. One of my prayers for us, we would recognize it and ask for it. And one of the chief ways that that will be shown, I believe, is through the Gospel becoming more alive for us and more powerful in its proclamation to our neighbors and friends in our community. That's what we see in Acts. God's people alive in the truth of the gospel, producing good fruit in His power for His glory. So I want us to have greater faith in God and a greater joy in the gospel. This is a gospel-saturated book. It's the gospel that's doing the work here. The Spirit of God is, is active. He is the power But it's the truth of the Gospel brought to these communities that forms the church. It's the Gospel on fire from the Holy Spirit that changes lives. It's the Gospel that that rescues the Samaritans, rescues the Ethiopian, affects Cornelius and his household, turns Saul's life around. It's the Gospel that 
forms churches, sustains them, transforms them, and empowers them to propagate to other places. It's the gospel that forms these new communities in Antioch, in Jerusalem, Antioch, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, and even to Rome. New communities are, are created. Lives are turned around. Sin, the demonic oppression, sickness, witchcraft, hatred are all reversed through the gospel. New meaning, new purpose, new missionary endeavors are all started. There's new devotion, new character, all through the gospel. The good news of God's mercy in Christ. God Himself as a man living the perfect life for us, offering Himself up for us on the cross, rising from the dead, and and ruling now and returning soon to finish His kingdom. This good news is what does all this. The Gospel goes forward in the book of Acts and changes everything. And I want us, as we look through Acts, as we see it, to have greater joy in this amazing message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. It's a simple message, yet it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I remember a, a Star Trek movie. I, I've watched some Star Trek movies and grew up actually watching the original series, um, though I think it was the repeats because I'm not old enough to watch the originals. In case you're trying to gauge my age. Uh, but anyhow, I remember watching one of the Star Trek movies, and the one, it was, uh, I think it was this Search for Spock or The Wrath of Khan, one of the early ones. And in this movie, there was this special torpedo-like bomb that they could shoot onto planets that were barren. And they would shoot this, this bomb, and it would cause this amazing, like, huge atomic explosion, so great that, like, like everything got blown up, and anything near the planet would be blown up. But then this device would cause this chain reaction that would, in a matter of hours or days even, uh, form, reform that planet as a, as a beautiful and habitable planet. It would cause oxygen to be formed and animals and plant life. And, and then the bomb would, would just recreate that whole place in its power. And it would become a place habitable for people. And the device was called the Genesis device. Uh, and it was this bomb that changed everything, that made this barren planet habitable. Well, the gospel is the Genesis device. The gospel is a powerful bomb. When it's released, it blows up, it changes lives. It transforms everything. And eventually, it will transform this entire planet and the entire universe. It's changing lives, it's changing cultures, changing families, it's changing communities. There's ebbs and flows in it, yes, indeed, but it is changing these things. And one day the gospel will work its final work as Christ comes back and finishes all things and everything will be changed. What we see in the book of Acts is the Genesis device at work in people's lives, in communities. And I want us to, to, to grow in our joy in this wonderful, powerful message and what it does. Finally, in link to this, I know I've gone long today. We started earlier. Thanks for your patience. I trust this serves you. Finally, I am asking for, want us to pray for a greater zeal to fulfill our mission. As we have a greater faith in God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we have a greater 
joy in the gospel that it would follow and always does follow this way, that there's a greater zeal to fulfill our mission. To know God and to know the gospel will always result in bringing the mission forward, will always result in bringing the truth and the life of Christ to other places, to other lives. And I want us to have greater zeal to fulfill our mission. And not just the mission in general, though that's important to understand the whole mission. We need the big picture. We need to be connected to the mission and what's going on in other churches and other parts of the world. But there's a mission that God has for us here. We are part of the whole mission in its local aspects. And I want us to have greater faith for the mission, but for our mission. Greater faith for God to fulfill our mission. The mission He has for us here at King of Grace. The mission to bring the Gospel to people, to proclaim it, to demonstrate it, to see powerful works done in His name, to see greater love amongst us and through us to others, to see our friendships and our family relationships change through your testimony and your deeds as you do the things we see in the book, at work, in your neighborhood. To see greater zeal for our mission in these ways, to see greater zeal for our missions through the things we do as a church so that our Sunday, when we come on Sundays, it would be anticipating the God of the book of Acts at work here, encouraging us, refreshing us, touching lives here. That in our Alpha, there'd be greater faith for the mission of God through our Alpha ministry, through VBS, that we approach VBS saying, Lord, I'm looking forward to you doing stuff like what the book talks about. Through VBS, I want to see kids come to know Christ, kids deepen in their knowledge of Christ, families brought to Christ. And we have seen that. We will see that. I want us to have greater faith and zeal for the mission in that. I want us to have greater zeal for the mission through children's ministry. This wonderful ministry that we would approach it with anticipation of God being at work in children's lives, not only for our children, but it would be an evangelistic ministry that people would come to our church just to bring their kids to children's ministry, and while they're here, they'd sit in the message and hear about Christ and have their lives changed. Greater zeal and faith for children's ministry, for our loaves and fishes ministry. Uh, I'd love to see somebody step up and say, yes, this is what God's calling me to, to help with this loaves and fishes ministry. What a great way to demonstrate the character of God by helping people in our church and beyond our church be fed and helped. There's idle bread down there waiting for somebody to, to oversee and add other elements to. And there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of work for our church who I don't want to see doing that. But there are some people that maybe need to do a little more, step up and say, yes, this is what God's called me to. I'll take it on. I trust as we go through Acts, God will stir your heart that way. I trust God will lead us forward into other ministries. I, I have things that I've thought about and prayed for and dreamed about. I mentioned the, our healing services, asking God to, to give us a venue to have healing services. We've, we've ex, have people experience life-changing healings in our church. Well, yeah, we understand God doesn't always heal. We'll all eventually get sick and, go, and die and go to be with the Lord. But He heals. He loves to do that. We have a deposit. I think we need to give it away. Greater faith to see God do something like that, that we would have maybe quarterly healing services and invite our sick friends and neighbors to come and we pray for them and watch God work. I thought of a, of a Christ-centered, gospel-centered recovery ministry where, where, where the gospel is at the center 
And the new identity that we have in Christ is the focal point. And we invite people who have had lifestyles of addiction to come in and see their lives change. I thank God for NA and AA and Christian recovery and the good work they're doing, but, but I, I, I would want to have something like that where we can focus on the gospel at the center and watch, watch addicts come in and fill our church, come to Christ. There's all sorts of things we can dream about. And, and when we read the book and let it affect us in the power of the Spirit, there's no telling what God will do through us. Not because we're great. I, I don't measure up to any of these people. But it's the same God. It's the same gospel. It's the same mission. And it's happening now. This is if Scripture continued, the canon of Scripture is closed indeed, but this would be Acts 2000, perhaps. What God is doing, just a little part of the chapter maybe, what God is doing at King of Grace Church. The story continues. God has His purposes. If the band could come up as we close. So would you pray with me? Would you pray and would you ask God for these things? Greater faith, greater joy, greater zeal. And not only would you pray, but would you have an encounter with God? Would you go to God and would you consecrate not only this series, but yourself in this series to Him? In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah encounters God. He sees God in His holiness, in His power. And what does he do as a result? Does he just kind of walk away saying, that was really cool. Man, I love those experiences. That was a good Sunday. He goes on his way. No, he says, woe is me. I need help. And God comes and, and there's an atonement, a picture of atonement, of his sins being paid for. And then he walks away. I feel so much better now. I'm forgiven. And he goes on his way, right? No. God speaks and then Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. And would you be like Isaiah and say, Lord, I'm not only praying for these things to happen, but here am I. Send me. Whatever you want to do, whatever it takes, whatever it means, here am I. Send me. Let us together pray and say that to the Lord. And let us watch God at work through this series. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You again for the book of Acts. We thank You, Lord, for its wonderful truths. And we thank You, Lord, for who You are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who You are and what Your purposes are. We thank You for the glorious Gospel. We thank You for the mission You've called us to. And we pray, O God, as we spend time in Acts, would You... Come in power and increase our faith in You. Would You increase our joy in the Gospel? Lord God, would You increase our zeal for the mission? And would You lead us onward and give us hearts to say, Here am I. Send me. Do whatever You wish as You continue the glorious story. We pray in Christ. We're going to reprise uh, everyone.